What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you on Thursday, December 14th, 2023, back in the saddle for some St. Louis Cardinals conversation. We haven't really seen a lot of movement from the Cardinals after the Tyler O'Neill trade, but we do still expect more to happen on the relief pitching front as the Cardinals, while they have added some flyer arms to that bullpen mix, I think could still use some back-end relief help guys that they can trust in the 7th, 8th, and ninth to go along with some of the mainstays that they still have. But today we're going to talk about a different topic because of a recent report by Derek Gould at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch on a topic that we've touched on in recent months on B-Shape Daily and here on this YouTube channel, Paul Goldschmidt, and the idea that the Cardinals are going to want to lock him up and extend him prior to the beginning of the 2024 season. It falls in line with the way they have done things in the past with per se, legacy players, and it appears that maybe they view Paul Goldschmidt in that realm as well. So that's the topic we're going to get into today on B-Shape Daily. Is it a good idea to extend Paul Goldschmidt at this point in time, and is it something that we do expect to happen in reality? All that coming up on this edition of the show. Make sure you subscribe to this channel. If you enjoy Daily Cardinals conversation all season and off-season long, hit that subscribe button in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, And if you'd like to listen in podcast form, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and punch in B-Shape Daily to your search engine on those platforms. Appreciate you guys for being with me as always. Let's get into it. The report came out from Derek Gould. I actually saw it on MLB Trade Rumors because they tend to aggregate a lot of that content. And it was originally posted in, I think, one of Derek's chats that he does on the STL Today page which uh, are are great informative he spends a lot of time on those I think he does does it once a week uh, but he really puts a lot of great information into those so I want to give him credit for that but uh, basically Derek putting in the chat that uh, the Cardinals are expected to approach Paul Goldschmidt at some point this offseason to have that conversation about an extension and Derek puts in his chat that it's not expected to be a contentious conversation it's one that both sides anticipate will be easy to come to a conclusion on, which tells me that the likelihood of this taking place is pretty high. And that falls in line with the way the Cardinals have done things in the past. You can think just back to this past offseason with Miles Michaelis. It was a deal that got done not in the offseason, but during spring training and actually pretty late in the spring training process. Because if you think back, Miles Michaelis was was down at the World Baseball Classic. So if I recall this correctly, it wasn't until after the WBC, Michaelis returning to camp, that the Cardinals and Michaelis were able to come to terms and get that deal filed away, which, again, is one that made sense for both sides. And I know that now looking back, we can say, well, man, Miles Michaelis didn't have a very good 2023 if the Cardinals would have allowed him to go into free agency and at least be eligible for free agency, he could have checked the market out, found that maybe there was no team willing to give him as much as the Cardinals, but the Cardinals arguably could have gotten a discount on what they did pay Miles Michaelis. And I think your reaction to that would be apt because I think that's correct. But something that we sometimes don't tend to think about is beyond the numbers and beyond the dollars and cents of it to like the the clubhouse aspect and maybe the human nature aspect. It's not to say that Miles Michaelis would be turned off by the Cardinals refusing to talk extension with him before last season, but I can think of a name that was, like Jordan Montgomery. I think that actually bothered Jordan Montgomery and is one of the reasons that he's not going to be a Cardinal in 2024. I know the fact that they traded him, you could say, well, that was maybe part of it too, 
but I wouldn't think Jordan Montgomery would hold that against the Cardinals that they traded him away from an environment that was not winning into an environment in which he ultimately won a World Series. Like, you can't really ask for a much better situation if you're Jordan Montgomery or Chris Stratton, who also went to the Texas Rangers in that trade. So for me, and I've, and I've said this multiple times when people ask, well, what about Montgomery? The Cardinals, like before the Sonny Gray signing, people would notice that I wasn't saying Jordan Montgomery's name that often as much as I was saying names like Gray or Yamamoto or Blake Snell. And people were asking, well, like, why couldn't you get Jordan Montgomery back? You could. You could have at that time. Now I don't think the the role would make sense because of Sonny Gray and having Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. And the money probably wouldn't make sense either because I think he's going to get should be a $100 million contract. Depends on how many years he eventually takes. But I just don't think dollars and cents-wise Jordan Montgomery is going to be a fit at this point in time. But even before that, it was just like a sense that I had of like, I'm not so sure that Jordan Montgomery is itching to come back to the Cardinals. Not that he disliked his time, but I, I think he was overjoyed to be reunited with Mike Maddox. And it, it's not necessarily a knock on Dusty Blake, but that's a veteran pitching coach that has the book out on every hitter in baseball versus a guy who's kind of coming into the Cardinals situation and learning on the fly, trying to replicate all of those years of experience that Mike Maddox brought to the table and brought to the pitching staff in St. Louis, that there had just been that continuity and that familiarity. And Jordan Montgomery got a glimpse of that with Mike Maddox because he was traded the prior July. And then he has last season where it's like, well, this isn't the same. Yadier Molina is not here. The pitching coach is different. We're not succeeding on the field. I feel like I'm pitching okay. Maybe I'm not, you know, looking to come back to this environment anyway. Um, but also the fact that, you know, the Cardinals could have approached him about a deal before the season. They ended up doing it with Miles Michaelis. Whether that was the best decision or not, I, I, I don't know. I guess time will tell on that. I think Montgomery's a really good pitcher, probably going to make even more on an average annual value than the current Michaelis deal. Uh, but Michael has got guaranteed some really good money for the next couple of years. And I think it was based on the Cardinals familiarity with him. They just knew it was going to be a deal that would be more simplified. It would be easier to get done than one with Montgomery, who was, you know, not really incentivized in his own right to take a hometown discount or anything for a team that he only been with for a couple of months. So I think that might've factored into it as well, but it's just this notion of the Cardinals looking at guys that have been with the team have that familiarity and they seem to be acclimated and, you know, happy with where they are in the clubhouse. The Cardinals sort of feel like, Hey, we can, we can get this guy to sign an extension and he wants to be here, uh, which is really important to the Cardinals, right? When you heard John Lozalock talk about the guys they brought in this off season for the rotation, they all had one common thread, Kyle Gibson, Lance Lynn, Sonny Gray. Mosellock said all those guys wanted to pitch in St. Louis, miles Michaelis from Jupiter, Florida, the Cardinals spring training home, really no reason to, to to look anywhere else other than the team that gave him that second shot in MLB and has paid him handsomely uh, to be a mainstay in the rotation. So that was a deal that happened early. You could make the case that from a dollars and cents perspective, the Cardinals didn't maximize the value there because they could have played the game with Michaelis, but then you do risk maybe alienating a player. Uh, and it's also like just not the way the Cardinals think. And you might say that that's to a fault of the Cardinals organization that they don't think, hey, maybe we can gain more out of letting this thing play out with a player. And if he doesn't have as great of a season, not to say that we don't want him back, but maybe we can get a better deal on him. I, 
it, it's kind of a, a very business shrewd oriented mindset and it for better or worse I don't think it's one that the Cardinals have with guys that they already have in the organization you could say that they try to be as shrewd as possible with free agents that they that they don't have yet and and, and the guys they sign from the outside but guys that have already been in the organization and, and the Cardinals have good rapport with I think they want to take care of those players and believe that there's a value to doing so from a clubhouse perspective from a continuity standpoint and all of those things to where the front office and in particular ownership with Bill DeWitt is that's not something like people say, Oh, Bill DeWitt needs to spend more money. He's willing to spend in certain circumstances, but maybe is it always the, the best approach that the Cardinals use to spend when it comes to, Hey, you've got these players that um, they're good players, but you're paying them early for the contributions they've already given you. Are they guaranteed to, as they get into their late thirties, continue those contributions at the same rate and are you paying them sooner than you should I know that the big one that comes to mind is Matt Carpenter right where the Cardinals didn't have to give him the extension that they did as early as they did and I guess I should go back and look exactly at when that Carpenter extension happened because he had the 2018 season with the Cardinals where it was it was hot and cold or rather it was more cold and then blazing hot for the middle portion of the season for like two and a half months. And then he finished on a bit of a downturn, but you saw his numbers still at the end of the season were still really strong overall. And I remember like for the middle part of that season, I was thinking this guy is going to be the MVP. I think he only ended up finishing kind of toward the tail end of the MVP uh, finishers in terms of top 10. I want to get that exactly correct. Uh, 2018, he finished ninth in the MVP vote. So actually lower than Tyler O'Neill did um, a couple of years later, but the Cardinals still in like April of 2019, you remember right at the beginning of that next season, gave the extension to Matt Carpenter as he was going into the final year guaranteed of his contract. And ultimately, you know, those those final years were not kind to the Cardinals, were not kind for Matt Carpenter. And from a financial standpoint, it did not work out by any means with the way that he finished his career in St. Louis. So you didn't get bang for your buck is what I'm saying in that scenario. And so I know that there are a lot of Cardinals fans looking at the Paul Goldschmidt numbers from this past season and wondering, are the Cardinals about to make the same mistake that they made with Matt Carpenter and that you could make the case already that they might've made with Miles Michaelis because the extension on Michaelis, uh, he did get a a bump to his 2023 salary, but it was at the expense of like, you're basically being paid early for 24 and 25, but the numbers that he was guaranteed are still the numbers that he was guaranteed. Michael Michaelis is making uh, a nice salary for this year and next year as well. Is that already going to be a deal that was a mistake given the way that in his, you know, early to mid thirties held as miles Michaelis. Now he pitched this past season, 35 years old, turns 36 in August. So that's kind of, I think where Cardinals fans are on the Paul Goldsmith situation, given that he just turned 36 already, he's about to play in his age 36 season And if you look at the year-over-year numbers from when Paul Goldschmidt was the MVP of the National League in 2022, had the best season of his career, you could make the case. Not the highest OPS that he's ever had, but pretty darn close to his 2015 season when he had a 1,000 OPS, finished second in the MVP that year. He finished second in the MVP in 2013 when he led the league in slugging and OPS at 952. But here's what has happened over the last couple of years. Paul Goldschmidt goes from a 981 OPS and a 177 OPS plus when he leads the National League in that category. He's the MVP of the National League, silver slugger, all-star, the whole bit. And then this past season, the OPS drops to 810, which is a 171-point decline. 
down across the board in terms of batting average, dropping about 50 points. On-base percentage dropping about 40 points. Still good at 363, but compared to 404 the previous year, uh, was a bit of a decline. But basically, the on-base was the same as he had in 2021. So it's not like it's uh, you know a major decline compared to what we've typically seen from Paul Goldsmith. But where we did see a decline was the lowest slugging percentage that Goldsmith has had in his career in St. Louis. 2019, 2021, and 22, all with a better slugging percentage than the 447 that Paul Goldsmith had this past season. So the power numbers did go down in maybe in a, a bit of a precipitous manner. 578 slug led the National League when he won MVP in 2022. And from that, you see, like I said, batting average was about 50-point decline. On base, 40-point decline. Sluggy percentage went down 130 points. A, a precipitous decline for Paul Goldsmith. The OPS plus, which, again, that is a, a metric, a, a one-size-fits-all number that can just kind of tell you at a glance how a player is doing offensively relative to his counterparts uh, at the same position across the rest of the league. Goldsmith was a 177 OPS plus when he won the MVP two years ago. That is outrageously good. You do that for a career, you're a surefire Hall of Famer. This past year, he was a 120 OPS plus, which is based on league average being 100. So he was still 20% above league average. He was a very good player, Um, but he's making $26 million dollars what's the new contract going to look like? It's certainly a very vast difference between a guy who's going to give you 120 on your OPS plus versus 177, or even the numbers that he had had the previous couple of seasons, 141, 145. Um, he's he's a 143 career average OPS plus, which still can end up being Hall of Fame caliber if he kind of kicks it into gear for the final few years of his career. But what is it going to look like for Paul Goldsmith and the Cardinals on an extension that, is being reported by Derek Gould that is, it's, you know, it feels like a done deal before it's even happened. It's just a matter of the two sides getting together. The Cardinals asking Paul Goldsmith, like, how many more years do you want to play? It's not believed that Goldsmith will want to play into his 40s like an Albert Pujols, per se. How many more years is it after this season, which is going to be his age 36 season? He turned 36 in September. Will it be two more years? So you're talking he's going to play this year out, and then maybe the extension is for 2025, in 2026 maybe it's with a player option for 2027 or a club option or they could go the Matt Carpenter route and, and base it on certain uh, benchmarks or incentives I know with Carpenters it was uh, plate appearances I believe uh, over the course of the two years for which the extension took place obviously Carpenter fell well short of that number given uh, the, the fact that he wasn't performing the Cardinals didn't play him as frequently and so it really wasn't even a question but in the case of Goldschmidt like he plays a lot. He's an Iron Man, and up until last year, defensively, he was a big boon for your lineup uh, in terms of your defensive alignment. This past year, the metrics did not even like Paul Goldsmith defensively, which is a bit of a concern, I would say, toward the, if you're somebody in the camp of, hey, like, this could be a sign that Paul Goldsmith's fielding is declining just because physically he's declining in general. You know, that could be something that that you could take a look at where, um, the, the metrics where he was about, you know, average, I would say across the board, if you look at the various uh, defensive runs saved, but like the range metrics and different things like that um, were, were not quite as good for Paul Goldschmidt. It's not to say he was a bad first baseman, but I think just maybe lost a step, at least according to what the defensive metrics would say. Now, do we believe that that is predictive of what Paul Goldschmidt is going to be moving forward? Generally, you would say that when faced with these types of numbers, a decline at age 35 slash 36, 
basically across the board, a little bit defensively, um, wasn't in consideration for the gold glove when he had won it um, the previous year. Or no, he had not won the gold glove the previous year. I stand corrected. It was two years ago when he won the gold glove in 2021. Uh, Fell short of that in 2022, but was not a finalist, was not considered at all really for 2023 based on the numbers that he had defensively. And then offensively, you just see that year-over-year performance go down, and it goes down to a rate that's lower than 2020, lower than 2021. Not really lower than his first year in St. Louis in 2019, which maybe could tell you like, okay, that that's a sign that Paul Goldsmith can rebound from that because he changed environments, was in Arizona his entire career, and then comes to St. Louis the first year, a little bit underwhelming compared to what he had done previously, and then he kicks it into gear for the next three seasons. Who's to say that Paul Goldsmith in a year where his entire team was bad, right? That's something that can affect you. That can kind of drag down the morale. Even though Paul Goldsmith, we talk about being a baseball playing robot, did that potentially have some level of impact on him personally where his team is playing poorly? He's maybe contributing to it by the fact that he's not playing to his normal standard. And that sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit where guys just fall short of their own personal expectations. And then it happens to each individual across the board. And that's how you end up with a 71 win season from a team that otherwise with, with the talent that it had shouldn't have arguably lost that number of games. Was it just a team-wide frustration with the fact that the pitching staff wasn't very good and they knew that as an offense, there's just not a lot we can do day in and day out to make a difference. I think that mentality probably did manifest within the Cardinals that sinks in at a certain point. And even though you guys are, you know, supposed to be robots playing baseball, realistically, it's hard to maintain that level every single day for the grind of a 162 game season when you really just feel like, is it a lost cause when we don't have the pitching, we don't have the horses on that side of the ball to be able to contend. I think there might be something to that because I think that war on a guy like Goldsmith is it especially war on Arenado earlier in the season because you saw toward the latter part before the injury that uh, put him on the IL for the end of the year, Arenado really kicked it into gear, especially, I mean, offensively, he had a good season, not by his normal standards, but still, you know, was a finalist for Silver Slugger, but ended up defensively really kicking it into gear in the second half and like rededicating himself to those details and the extra work that he's put in his entire career, I think, I think everybody sort of overthought it at the beginning of the season where the Cardinals overthought it trying to put Tyler O'Neill in center field. They overthought it with, hey, we're going to, maybe they underthought with, hey, we're going to just send everybody to the World Baseball Classic and that's going to be fine. Um, Hey, we're going to have a new catcher and that's not going to be an issue, even though we've constantly talked about how our old catcher is, you know, one of the best behind the scenes, defensive game planning, all of that in Major League Baseball history we're going to bring in a new guy because he's a veteran and it's going to be fine. Like in some areas they overthought it. I think Arenado was overthinking, like I got to do something different to keep myself fresh offensively. I have to not play as much uh, defense and put in as much work on the side to my ground balls and to my defense, which he said was something he did in the first half. And then, you know, said, this isn't working for me. I need to get back to what I do and was able to do that and have a lot of success for Paul Goldschmidt. I don't really know the inner workings of why it maybe didn't look the same, but I can tell you, like, the dedication was never gone from Paul Goldsmith. And I don't think physically Paul Goldsmith has declined either. I think it was just, it, you know who it reminds me of? And this is this may not be interesting to people who are not football fans, but it reminds me of the conversation happening right now in Kansas City when it comes to the Chiefs and Travis Kelsey. No, I'm not going to get into a rant about Taylor Swift. But Travis Kelsey is, like, age 34, 35, a little bit younger than Goldsmith, but football may be more demanding physically uh, in terms of, like, the, the toll on your body on a one week basis where the, the hits you can take. I don't mean like physically the grind of baseball is different than football because you play 10 times the number of games, 
but Travis Kelsey isn't maybe having the same numbers that he had in previous seasons, and everybody's going, well, what happened? Is he hitting the wall? Is he hitting the decline? Again, if you're not a Chiefs fan, you don't care, but I think it's an apt comparison because I don't think Travis Kelsey is, is, has lost a step at all. If you watch him in games, he's still hitting people. He's still moving the same way. The numbers aren't the same because the team is going through a little bit of a slump. I think that can just be a product of, hey, the, the pieces around you aren't as strong in that, again, you try to be a robot. You try to grind through those things. Sometimes it just, you know, you, your impact isn't going to be the same because you can feel that going on around you, and it's kind of a, a locker room thing. I think the Cardinals had a bit of a clubhouse thing, and the, 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 that was manifested from the numbers, right? The, the wins and losses weren't as strong, and so you get into a spot where Paul Goldschmidt, uh, that can just sort of manifest. If the Cardinals are, are a 90-win team in 2024, I bet it's just going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy that Paul Goldschmidt's numbers are better. So is it risky to give this extension to Paul Goldschmidt right now? I would say it's pretty much primarily dependent upon the numbers. If he's making $26 million right now and you say, Paul Goldschmidt, we're not going to give you a raise necessarily um, because you just had a bit of a down year, but we'll, we'll lock you in for that $26 million for two more years or three more years uh, as your average annual salary, whatever you want to play. If it's two years, three years, I bet it's going to be one of those two numbers. I don't think you'll want to play four more seasons after 2024. If I had to guess, it'll be two, but it might be three. And that'll lock him in to be a Cardinal for life, which is something that I think the, the organization values Bill DeWitt values, uh, John Moselock uh, values as well. I think Paul Goldsmith could end up being in the org longer than Mo because Mo's contract uh, only runs for 24 and 25. I think Goldsmith will have a multi-year extension, and it's just going to come down to, like, the numbers of it. Does it make sense from a financial perspective to pay Paul Goldsmith the same as what he's been doing when you anticipate maybe a lower level of performance? I don't know if the Cardinals anticipate a lower level of performance, and I certainly know that Paul Goldsmith does not. So this is an interesting one because as I was getting to, in normal circumstances, you could look at the numbers that we're facing and saying, okay, decline offensively, decline defensively, he's age 36. It's probably just like the natural decline that happens with age. But I don't know. I still have an inkling that Paul Goldsmith could be different. I think if you chalk up his bad season or by his standards, a down year, to the fact that the Cardinals had a down year across the board and say you put him in an environment that is now winning because they have the pitching in theory to be able to at least maintain, you know, a level footing and they're going to be keeping their head above water instead of spending the entire six months trying to take a bucket and shovel the water out of the side of the boat that has a hole in the bottom or multiple holes in the bottom. Like, is that enough? I've talked about the notion of vibes. Is that enough to get more out of Paul Goldschmidt in 2024 and beyond? I think that there's a chance the answer to that is yes. Is it the most financially prudent decision to play it that way? No, like objectively, it's it's not. But you have to remember the clubhouse aspect of it and the notion of like, hey, Cardinals have been good to me. I'm Paul Goldschmidt. I, I'm good to the Cardinals by, you know, I don't want to go to free agency. I don't want to look around. I want to just lock up whatever it takes to get me here. Are they going to, you know, quibble over money? Maybe not. They didn't do it with Adam Wainwright in the last year, right? Did that work out for the Cardinals? No, but I, I do think this organization, in a way that other teams maybe do not, do value for the guys that they deem legacy worthy. They want to make sure that legacy remains intact. It's not just with a financial thought process. It, it has other elements involved in it. As Cardinals fans, what do you think of that? You're, you're definitely valid and willing to and welcome to have your opinions and thought processes on whether that's the way they should go about it. But I think we can expect that the Cardinals have done things in a certain way 
over the course of time, and this is probably the way they are going to go about it, whether it's the most financially prudent option. But my thought is, is this Matt Carpenter 2.0 if the Cardinals do this extension before the season? No, I I don't think it's going to be. I think that Paul Goldsmith is going to come out with a purpose. He has, and it's not to say that Matt Carpenter didn't have pride in his performance, but I, if you were to look at the two players and say, what's a difference? I don't think Paul Goldsmith is a, a stubborn guy, right? I think there was there were answers to how Matt Carpenter could have gone about his rejuvenation sooner. And I think in in some ways he rested on the fact that, hey, I've always been able to do this. I'm a veteran. I've been through these wars before, and I know how to get the most out of my body. And then it didn't come until he was literally, you know, scavenging for a contract, trying to find his way after the Cardinals said, you know, we're, we're not paying you anymore to, to give you to give the production that you've given, that Matt Carpenter was forced to reckon with that. I think Paul Goldsmith is going to reckon with it because he doesn't know any other way. He has to. He physically has to be better than he was, always pushing himself and always being willing to try anything. I don't think for a while Matt Carpenter was willing to try anything. I think Matt Carpenter was a little bit set in his ways, would say the right things about being willing to do different things, but then the proof was ultimately in the pudding, right? When that big expose came out after he left the Cardinals and he spent that offseason with Joey Votto and kind of hit that rock bottom of like, I have lost a step or five and my performance isn't the same. I want to find it back and had to like seek out and 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 be vulnerable to like, what if, what have I done that's gone wrong and how do I fix it um, from people that were able to help him kind of re- revive his career and get in that contract with San Diego. I feel like Paul Goldsmith is already doing those things. He is, uh, you've seen videos on social media, perhaps this off season of Paul Goldsmith taking the steps in the lab, doing the things necessary to make sure that last year isn't replicated. I think the Cardinals recognize that work ethic, and I don't think they are scared of the notion of committing to Paul Goldsmith. Um, And another thing that you do have an opportunity to do, and I don't know how much this will manifest because how much are the Cardinals going to be involved in marquee free agents in the years to come? Like what are the needs of the team going to be? We don't really know, but I think too, it's a selling point to be able to play with Paul Goldsmith. Like for a Cardinals team that very much wants to acquire players that want to be here, And you can say, well, is the city of St. Louis attractive? Is the Cardinal organization still as attractive as it once was to free agents? Um, You know, there are questions about those things. Having guys like Goldsmith and Arenado in that clubhouse that are respected around the game and knowing, uh, you know, having a free agent know that, oh, I'll be playing with that player for the next two or three years because he's already under contract. There is value to that as well. It's just the way the Cardinals operate, and they have done done it this way for a long, long time. It hasn't come back to bite them enough to force them, I think, to change their mindset. I think they're aware of the past misses. Like, they know what happened with Matt Carpenter. They even know what happened with Adam Wainwright. But I don't think that, like, the Adam Wainwright thing is going to cause the Cardinals to not give that last final hurrah deal if ever another Adam Wainwright should come around and they're faced with the notion of, are we extracting the absolute most value of this contract or are we taking care of a guy that, you know, we don't want to make this about money? Yadier Molina, they did it the same way, and they didn't get the most value out of that. People could say if you add all that up, it has hamstrung the team from being able to make the moves. But also, if you add it all up and say they don't make any of those deals, it's like a blanket rule. Do we do this with the guys we love and cherish, or do we not do it with the guys we love and cherish? Like, great example within this city, look at the St. Louis Blues. They went the complete opposite direction. They went the shrewd businessman way of, you know what? We're going to anticipate that 
Alex Petrangelo is not going to have the same level of performance and he's not going to be worth this contract. We're going to we're going to try to go out of of network and go out in free agency and pick up defensemen that we think are going to be able to outperform him at a better value. We're going to be really shrewd. We're going to be really calculated about it. Ryan O'Reilly, we're going to trade him because we don't think the St. Louis Blues are in a bad way right now, firing their coach the other day because I think of the mistakes that the general manager made, right? And the Cardinals, you know, it's not to say that John Mozeliak has not made mistakes. The Cardinals and Blues are actually in very similar situations right now. But I look at it as the Blues went the other way and said, we had a championship team that we basically dismantled brick by brick because we were a little bit worried about overpaying them by a little bit. David Perron goes, like, they've lost their identity as a team. I don't think the Cardinals want to get into a spot where that happens to them. That's kind of where I'm, that's the perspective from which I'm looking at it. And so they have a way that they operate. And I think that way is going to involve Paul Goldschmidt getting a contract extension, uh, whether it waits until spring training or happens before then, I think you can anticipate Goldschmidt's going to be a Cardinal for life. And I, I think that's the right way to approach it. I do think you should make him a Cardinal for life. If you can afford to have some knowledge of like, you know, like with Yadier Molina, I always wondered, is he going to be able to have that last contract or is it going to be a case where he's going to say, hey, I'm I'm still the best catcher in baseball and you got to pay me like it. You know, he did ultimately take a bit of a, a discount relative to what he had been in previous years for that final contract. Was it a discount relative to his final performance? No, he didn't have a good last year at all and, and did not, you know, live up to the, the dollars and cents of that deal. How will that conversation go with Paul Goldschmidt? I think it'll be less than the $26 million, but if it's, you know, if it's three years, 60, would you do that as a Cardinal fan? You're, I mean, that 60 million is a lot of guaranteed money, but, you know, maybe that's the, the thing you do for guys that you value for that legacy and the Cardinals value that continuity and the notion of, hey, ticket sales, people want to watch Goldie, people love Goldie. He wasn't a Cardinal at the beginning of his career, but he's going to be at the end of it. Like, that is the way this organization operates. And if you let this play out, and if Paul Goldsman had another season with an 815 OPS or whatever, would he command twenty million in free agency? Probably not. Would he command twenty six million? Definitely not. Are the Cardinals overly concerned with the the difference between a twenty three million AAV and a twenty million or an eighteen million? Or do they want to play that out, or do they want the the certainty of this guy is still a a foundational piece of our team? That I think is the debate. Weigh in on the comments section whether you think that's the way the Cardinals should go about it. But even if you don't think they should go about it that way, do you understand why they're probably going to? That's what I want to hear from Cardinals fans. What's the temperature of the room from Cardinals fans on this one, where I do think you're going to see a Paul Goldschmidt contract extension within the next few months? Let me know what you think about it. What would be the numbers that you would be comfortable with as a Cardinal fan to say, hey, this is going to be the deal. I'm I'm cool with it. But any more than this, I'm a little bit nervous that maybe they don't get that level of production from Goldie that they've gotten. But when you do this, don't forget the value that he brings to the clubhouse too. I think that is an important aspect of this. But every Cardinal fan is going to look at this differently. So I'm really interested to see what the responses to this one are going to be. So comment below. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you enjoyed this kind of Cardinals content on a daily basis throughout the season. We'll try to get back to daily through the offseason as well when there's more topics to talk about. Drop your comments as well on what you'd like to hear me talk about next in a B-shaped daily video or just a, a shorter YouTube video for this channel. Uh, appreciate all of your guys' support that, that allows me to build this channel up as we've done uh, since the beginning of the 2023 season. Hopefully great stuff to come as well over the next year for the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writer channel and be Shafe daily as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. That'll do it for this edition of the show. We'll talk to you next time on be Shafe daily. Peace.